Hello? Message. calculation for early death. As many of you already know, with retirement benefits, 
35 years are used in the calculation to determine the benefit, whether you've worked 35 years or not. So if you've only worked 20 years, your earnings history will show 20 years of earnings and 15 years of zeros. And needless to say, zeros in a calculation will drive down the average. So if someone dies early, there could be quite a few years of zeros in their 35 years of work history. Now that would be unfortunate, but thankfully, survivor's benefits aren't calculated in the exact same way as retirement benefits. If someone dies fully insured, there is an alternate calculation that differs from the normal calculation in two key areas. Instead of using the highest 35 years from work history, the Social Security Administration will take the number of years between the attainment of age 22 through the year of death and drop off the lowest five years. The number of years there is what's used instead of the fixed 35 number that's used for retirement benefits. For example, let's say that someone named John dies at age 40. The administration would index his earnings for inflation and look at the number of working years on his record beginning at age 22 and ending at his death. In this case, that's 19 years. Next, they'd drop off five of the lowest years. What would be left would be the highest 14 years of John's earnings. Since there are 168 months and 14 years, his average index monthly earnings would be the sum of the highest 14 years divided by 168. The result would then be applied to the benefits formula that was in effect in the year of John's death. But this is where yet another variance in the calculation comes in. If the deceased spouse was under the age of 62 when they died, and their surviving spouse was not yet 60, the Social Security Administration will perform an alternate calculation to see if it produces a higher result for survivor's benefits. This is called Windexing, and it's one of the administration's famous word combination that stands for Widow's Indexing. This alternate calculation compares the benefits payable from doing the calculation with the formula in place during the year of death, and then with the calculation in the earlier of the year the surviving spouse attains age 60 or the deceased would have attained age 62. So to fully understand how Windexing works and how this can make a difference, it's helpful to understand how the Social Security Administration accounts for inflation because that's really what this comes down to. There are two methods used by the administration to account for the impact of inflation to benefits. They use wage inflation as measured by the average wage index and price inflation as measured by the CPIW. The dividing line that determines which of these measurements are used is the benchmark or eligibility year. The eligibility year is simply the year that someone dies becomes disabled or turns 62. The summarized version of this is that before the year of eligibility, benefits are increased based on wage inflation. After the year of eligibility, benefits are increased based on price inflation. What the Windexing formula does is effectively moves the year of eligibility to a later year and allows the benefit to be calculated with more years of wage inflation built in. And since wage inflation is normally higher than price inflation, this should produce a higher primary insurance amount and resulting benefit payment. So let's go through a quick example and see how this would work in action. Let's assume that Jack was born in 1955 and his wife Susan was born in 1957, but Jack was killed in an accident in 1995. Now the normal calculation would calculate Jack's PIA through the 1995 formula, and then it would add cost of living adjustments based on price inflation for every year thereafter. The alternate Windexing calculation would calculate his benefit as if his eligibility year was 2017, the year Jack would have been 62. This means that for the years between his death and 2017, 
his PIA would be increased by wage inflation. So how big of a difference can this make? Well, if you look at that specific period between 1995 and 2017, wage inflation outpaced price inflation by 25%. This means that Susan's survivor benefit would be considerably higher under the windexing formula than it would have been under the normal formula. Now, one quirk about the windexing formula you should know is that the alternate formula is only used for the surviving widow, not for anyone else normally eligible for survivor's benefits like children or parents. And last, there is the strategy that can supercharge your Social Security benefits if you know how to use it. Up until 2016, switching between Social Security benefits was possible through several popular filing strategies. For example, an individual could file for a spousal benefit and later switch back to their own benefit. This strategy would let a person collect a benefit while waiting on their own benefit to grow with those 8% per year delayed retirement credits. But there were some law changes in 2016, and most of these Social Security filing strategies were completely eliminated. But one is still in place, and it benefits those who are eligible for survivor benefits. So a general overview is that if you're eligible for both a survivor's benefits and your own benefit, you file for one benefit and let the other benefit grow as you wait. For example, it could make sense to file for a reduced survivor's benefit as early as 60. While you're drawing your survivor benefit, your own benefit grows every month you delay filing for it. At age 70, you simply switch back to your own benefit, which is now higher. The reverse of this would work as well. You could file for your own benefit as early as 62 and switch to a survivor benefit at full retirement age. So to see this in action, Let's look at a couple of examples. Let's say Paula is 60. At 67, her full retirement age, she has her own benefit of $1,500 per month and a survivor's benefit of $1,600 per month. One approach would be for Paula to file for survivor benefits at 60. That would result in a reduction of 28.5%, which would give her a benefit of $1,144. But she'd be able to collect that benefit while her own benefit was growing. And once her own benefit had grown to the maximum at age 70, she'd simply switch to that benefit and start receiving $1,860 per month for the rest of her life. That would make a big difference in monthly benefits. But the reverse of this scenario could also be advantageous. Let's use the example of Jean, who is currently 62 years old, which is the earliest age you can claim your own benefit. And at full retirement age, she has her own benefit of $1,200 and a survivor's benefit of $1,800 easy decision here is to file for her own benefit first, even though it would be reduced down to $840. At her full retirement age of 67 then, she would switch to a survivor's benefit. That way she would receive a benefit while she was waiting to get her full survivor's benefit. Just a quick tip here, survivor's benefit won't continue to increase beyond full retirement age, so there wouldn't be any reason to delay. So I know we've covered a lot of ground, but I think that understanding what to expect in payments, and the basics of the calculations will help you spot inaccuracies. Because let me tell you, you can be certain about this. The Social Security Administration doesn't always get it right, and the burden is on you to understand how these benefits are calculated. Thanks for watching.
expect the Social Security Administration to tell you how this is going to impact you. Here's proof of that. According to the Office of the Inspector General, his calculations in the windfall elimination provision accounted for 63% of all overpayment errors between 2013 and 2017. This means that the burden is on you to fully understand how this provision works and how you'll be impacted. Today, I'm going to walk through this so you'll know how to calculate this for yourself and discuss the two most common ways to sidestep this rule. So first, let's define the group that's impacted by the windfall elimination provision. And from here on out, can we just refer to this as the, well, that'll make it a little easier. The impacted group is those who worked at a job where they did not pay Social Security taxes, that's a non-covered job, and qualified for a pension from that job. This would be a non-covered pension. And someone who worked at another job where they did qualify with Social Security. Now, teachers are the most common groups that are affected by this, but it also includes other public sector workers like firefighters, police officers, and numerous other state, county, and local employees. Back in the very beginning, Social Security didn't cover any public sector employees, but over the years, many states dropped their own pension plans and adopted coverage agreements with the Social Security Administration. But there are still several states who do not participate in Social Security. Instead, they have their own state-run pension plan. And for workers in these states, the rules for collecting a non-covered government pension and Social Security can be confusing and maddening, and that's especially true if you've paid into the Social Security system for enough quarters to qualify for your own benefit. And it's quite common, too. Many individuals find themselves in this situation for a variety of reasons. For example, firefighters often work second jobs where they pay Social Security taxes. Police officers will often retire at an early age and move on to another covered. <laughs> Teachers came to education as a second career after they spent years working in a job where Social Security taxes were withheld. The windfall elimination provision came from the 1983 Social Security Amendments. This was to cut down on the double dipping, as they called it, for individuals that were receiving both a pension from a job where they did not pay Social Security taxes and a Social Security benefit. Their rationale for thinking this was a form of double dipping was that the Social Security system is designed to replace a percentage of pre-retirement earnings. Individuals with lower earnings receive a higher percentage of pre-retirement benefits than individuals with higher incomes. So since someone who worked at a job that did not withhold Social Security taxes would be viewed as low income, since those earnings wouldn't show up on their Social Security earnings history, they were receiving a higher Social Security benefit than they should have. So right or wrong, that was the logic they used for creating the WEP in the 1983 amendments. Unfortunately, they did a really bad job of trying to make this easy to understand for individuals who are planning their retirement. For example, your Social Security statement does not reflect any reduction in benefits due to this provision. If you qualified for a Social Security benefit and have a non-covered pension, the estimate on your statement is wrong. And I've seen multiple cases where someone was planning the retirement income stream and didn't even know to account for the reduction from this provision. 
Instead, they were surprised at retirement to find out that their Social Security benefit would be cut by $500 per month. Now, this is where I would like to hear from you. Did you know that the benefits estimate does not show the reduction from the wealth? Do you think they ought to change this, too? So let's jump into how this is calculated so you'll know how to apply this to your specific Social Security benefit. The heart of the web is simply a recalculation of your Social Security benefit if you also have a pension from non-covered work, again, where no Social Security taxes were paid. The normal Social Security calculation formula is substituted with a new calculation that results in a lower benefit amount. So understanding how this is calculated requires a little bit of background on the overall Social Security benefits calculation. The wet part of this calculation is just one little change from the way it's normally calculated. But to fully understand this does require some context and a brief overview of this normal calculation. And then I'm going to come back and show you the one small change that introduces the wet penalty. The summarized version is that they take all of your earnings through age 59 and apply an inflation factor to those. They also use your earnings after age 59 as well, they just don't inflate them. They use them at face value. Then they'll take the highest 35 years of earnings, they'll sum them up and divide by 420 to get the averaged index monthly earnings. Now once they have that, they apply it to a formula that's specific to individuals who are 62 in that calendar year. The result is your full retirement age benefit, which is also known as your PIA or primary insurance amount. Now, the step that introduces the windfall elimination provision is the part where they apply it to the formula. This is often referred to as the bin point formula, and it's really important to know that it changes every year, and only the formula in place the year you turn 62 is used. So even if you work until you're age 70 or 80, it doesn't matter. The earnings will count, but they'll always run those through the formula in place the year you turn 62. The formula works like this. There are two numerical points in each formula. The Social Security Administration refers to these as bin points and separates it into three bands. You have the earnings up to the first bin point, earnings between the first bin point and second bin point, and then earnings over the second bin point. First, I'll show you how the normal formula works, and then I'll show you that one little change that makes it different for those who are subject to the windfall elimination provision. So to get your benefit amount, they apply your aim to this formula. Aim in the first band is credited to your benefit at 90%. Aim in the second band is credited at 32%. And aim in the third band is credited at 15%. The sum of all of these bands is your PIA, or primary insurance amount, which generally is the same as your full retirement age benefit. So for example, assume that your aim was $7,000. That may be a little bit higher than typical for employees who also have non-covered work, but I want to be able to show you an example that goes all the way through all of these bin points. So again, assuming that your aim was $7,000 in the 2022 formula, this would be the first 1,024 times 90%. That's $921. In the next band, there's $5,148, which is multiplied by 32% for a result of $1,647. And with that aim of $7,000, there's still $828 left in that third band or over that second bin point, and that's multiplied by 15% for $124. When you sum these up, this individual would have a full retirement age benefit 
of $2,692. So that's the normal calculation. The only difference between the normal calculation and the calculation that results in the WEP penalty is in the first bin point. Instead of crediting your aim at 90%, it only credits it at 40%. Everything else is the same. The difference between 40% and 90% of that first bin point is the effective WEP penalty for that given year. For example, let's say an individual has the exact same aim as the last example. The second and third band would be the same amount, but the first band would only give a result of $409. When you add this up, the final benefit at full retirement age would only be $2,180 instead of the amount that we saw in the last calculation. And understanding how this first bend point is multiplied at a lower number is where one of the ways to sidestep this penalty comes in. That 40% crediting rate applies to everyone with a non-covered pension unless they have more than 20 years of earnings above a certain threshold. The administration refers to these as substantial earnings. For every year of substantial earnings between 21 and 30, 5% is added to that 40% crediting factor on that first bend point. For example, if you have 21 years of substantial earnings, the first band of AIM is multiplied by 40 5% instead of 40%. At 22 years, it's 50%. And by the time you reach 30 years of substantial earnings, you're back to the full 90% crediting, which effectively means that the WEP no longer applies to you. Now, obviously, not everyone has the option of accumulating enough years to wipe out the big monthly WEP reduction. But for those who do or can get close, this is worth taking a closer look. Now, if you want to see a chart of the earnings required to qualify a substantial, I'm going to link up an article I wrote that goes into detail about the amount of earnings required on an annual basis and a lot of other useful information about the substantial earnings. Now, the one thing that can change that calculation method is the WEP guarantee rule. While the world fights uncertainty, Crow will help you embrace volatility. Social Security benefit cannot be reduced by more than half of your non-covered pension, regardless of the current WEP penalty amounts. For example, in 2022, the WEP penalty is $512. But if your pension was only $800, the WEP penalty couldn't be more than $400. The second way to sidestep these rules is a lump sum pension withdrawal. But you have to be very, very careful here. I hear from individuals fairly often wondering if they can sidestep these rules by simply taking their pension in a lump sum. After all, in just about every reference to these rules, the Social Security Administration says that the rules apply to individuals with a pension from work where no Social Security taxes were paid. So if there's no pension being paid, do the rules still apply? Well, they do. There are a few exceptions. First, not all pensions allow for withdrawals of lump sums. Pensions that do allow lump sums may allow either partial lump sum withdrawals or allow you to withdraw everything in the plan. And you can find that out by reading your plan documents or just calling your plan administrator. In most cases, if you take a lump sum withdrawal from a pension that is not covered by Social Security, the SSA is still going to use an alternate calculation to determine the amount you would have received based on your age and the date you took the lump sum. So even though you take it in a lump sum, it's typically going to be viewed as if you took a normal pension. 
If you look at the SSA website, it says, when the entire pension is paid in a lump sum, the amount may represent a payment for a specific period of time or a lifetime. Generally, the pension paying agency will prorate the lump sum to determine a monthly amount for WEP purposes. If the agency will not provide this information, prorate the lump sum to determine the monthly pension amount as follows, and then they go on into some other detail. This language does two things. It directs the Social Security technician how to treat your lump sum pension, and it also directs the administration as to when the WEP should no longer affect your benefit payment. It's important to note that if you receive a payment in lieu of a pension for a certain period, the end of that period is when the WEP application will end. So for example, if your lump sum payment was made in lieu of a 10-year payment period, the WEP would no longer affect you at the conclusion of 10 years. If no period is selected though, the administration will use a table on their website to determine how long those payments should have lasted. And at the end of that period, the WEP would no longer be applied. Now the one exception to lump sum withdrawal triggering the WEP is if you take out your contributions before you become eligible for a pension. Once you've reached eligibility though, it's too late to withdraw your contributions and avoid the WEP. Here's what the Social Security website says in their POMS manual. Withdrawal of the employee's own contributions and interest made before the employee is eligible to receive a pension are not pensions for WEP purposes if the employee forfeits all rights to the pension. This rule applies even if the employee paid the employee contributions. Withdrawals of the employee's own contributions and interest made after the employee is eligible to receive a pension are considered a lump sum pension for WEP purposes. Any separation payment, withdrawal, or refund consisting of both employer and employee contributions is a pension for WEP purposes, whether it's made before or after the employee is eligible to receive a pension. So it's crucial to understand that the word eligibility, as defined by the administration, does not mean that you have stopped work. In fact, you could still be working and deemed eligible for your pension. This is disastrous for those individuals who had planned to wait until a week before they retired to withdraw their contributions. In another section of the website, they define eligibility as follows. An individual becomes eligible for a monthly pension or a lump sum in lieu of a monthly pension the first month he or she meets all requirements for payments except stopping work and applying for the payment. So could you still be working and technically eligible for your pension? Yes. If you plan to withdraw contributions and avoid the windfall elimination provision, you'll need to know exactly what it takes to become eligible for a pension at your employer. The truth is, there aren't a lot of good ways to get around the windfall elimination provision, but this doesn't mean you can't lessen the impact by understanding the rules. Without making this video an hour or two long, it's impossible to cover everything you need to know, but I do want to give you a resource that will help you master some more of these concepts. I've created a piece titled, The Top 10 Questions and Answered on the Windfall Elimination Provision. In this, I'll go over the information we talked about today, but I also cover some of the other things like how does the WEP affect spousal and children's benefits? What's the effect of filing early or later with the WEP? And how do 403B and ORP plans factor into the calculation? It's completely free and you can download it instantly from the link in the description. Hey, if this video has been helpful, would you mind sharing it with your friends? 
know there's a lot of people out there who are covered by the windfall elimination provision, the government pension offset, and these rules can be really, really murky. And if you share it, whether it's on Facebook or in the forums that you're in, you're going to help other people understand how this provision is going to affect them in retirement. Thanks for watching.